Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere setting and books. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. That's Autumn. I'm Autumn. I mixed it up. I said a different word. I. Oh, I thought you were like, I, you always introduced Mark first, but... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Helps me sync up the audio. Oh, I see. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. I don't play favorites. <laughs> um, y'all read any books this week? Fuck no. Um, uh, nothing, nothing new. I um started a book that Nora and I will be podcasting oh, yeah, I did about. Also, start a book that yeah, Autumn and I will be podcasting about. I so and I've been... Jackson <laughs> and M. Oh no, I was thinking of the other one. Oh. The one that you haven't started yet. Yeah, I didn't start that book that we're going to be podcasting. The Last Command by Timothy Zahn. I did not start The Last (laughs) Command. I started a different book that we were going to be podcasting about. This will go up in like two weeks, right? Uh, One week. Is it? I think. One week for patrons. We can't announce it yet. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll announce it at the finale of Elantris. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we teased it. um, We've teased it on Locked. We've teased it on Gotham. Oh, really? Yeah. What'd you say on Gotham? I don't remember, but we teased it. Anyway, anyway, I started that book. I did not start the other book that we were going to be podcasting about. I read some Batman comics. I read some Daredevil comics. Uh, I have nothing to report, really. (laughs) I read two chapters of The Last Command. I got caught up again on Order of the Stick, but they're still in the same fight scene they were, like, a month ago. It's a comic. Uh, so. Not all comics are paced that slowly. Well, it's a web come comic. out that slowly. <laughs> I know. I just like I understand that uh, moving through scenes very slowly in terms of real time is normal for web comics because of both like the update schedule. Like, how often does Order of the Stick come out? A page a week? No, not that. No, not that. Absolutely frequently. not. <laughs> absolutely not that often. Okay. Um, I think. Like, once or twice a month. Okay. So a page every two weeks. Sometimes the pages are multiple pages. Okay. The updates are multiple pages. Okay. JPGs, but... Okay. Okay. But, you know, it's it's very... Like, and I could go look it up, and I don't really feel like it. Yeah. Nobody wants me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. Even if a webcomic is coming out as often as one page a week, which is not actually... That's actually pretty often. Um... Uh, so yeah, that's going to be not that much comic in one month. Mm-hmm. But there are, it is possible for a comic to pace itself in such a way that that is like a tolerable reading experience mm-hmm. as it updates. Mm-hmm. And but I will say I don't think a lot of them manage that. Yeah, um, which I is mean, unfortunate. This is the thing that Order of the Stick does, where like sometimes a combat encounter is more framed as like a weird, intense puzzle. Mm-hmm. For the characters to think through and talk through while also fighting. So they're dealing with like a beholder right now. Which has mm-hmm. all those eye stalks that do different magic stuff. Uh, and also it's invisible. And so, You know what's weird about me is that despite being like the exactly right <clears throat> age for it. And despite being a huge comic book fan. I've never really been into webcomics. I'm surprised I... you never read like Atomic Robo. I, d- I read the first couple volumes of Atomic Robo, but I read those in print. Hmm. 
Um, I kept up with strong female protagonists for some time. Um, and I read X... Well, no. I read a huge chunk of strong female protagonist at one point, and then I stopped reading it, and I was just like, ah, I just read that like a normal comic, not like a webcomic I was keeping up with. And then at one point, I was uh, keeping up with XKCD every single time it posted. I, I, weirdly, I guess I was doing that too at some point. I forgot about that. I, everyone was reading XKCD at one point. It was a dark time. I um, We also, call that the Obama XKCD. administration. <laughs> <laughs> XKCD was like barely a comic a lot of yes, the time. Yes, yes. It was a uh, comic I, in the older sense. It was, it was, it was, it was basically yeah. a new... It was basically a newspaper comic, yes, which means that sometimes it was not actually sequential art. Right. Uh, I I I was incredibly into webcomics as, like, an early teen. Mm-hmm. I was very, very dedicated to the ones that I read. I did, uh, I, I think, before I figured out RSS feeds, I had a complicated set of bookmarks, and I knew which day of the week they each updated <clears throat> so I could go and check them. Nowadays, I don't really do that anymore because I, I mean, basically because like webcomics are just not a thing in the same kind of way anymore. Yeah. And also because I have gotten kind of a little fed up with the pacing because, um, like, so I don't know what the two of you think about the comic Kill Six Billion Demons. I feel like a few of my friends. I read the first issue and I, I thought it was kind of. It kind of caught my eye, but I didn't keep up with it. Never read it. I have a completely unreasonable grudge against that uh, author because of the Lancer RPG. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Lancer is dog shit. Um, okay, that's a little unfair. Uh, it, Lancer seems to be an an enjoyable tactical war game. Yeah, the I, setting of yeah. Lancer is garbage. Yes. And by the way, it's not just garbage in the sense of like its politics are bad, but like the way that they create the setting is really fucking stupid. Yes. Um, like the the way that it is it's like one of them comes up with like a general ideological point that he wants to make to his fan base and then the other one just like generates lore for it and like there's no coherent yeah. world building idea. I don't this is me being a little unfair. Uh, but <laughs> their actual process they've described it and it's absurd. Is um, there like a podcast somewhere where I could learn more about Lancer, the RPG? On abnormalmapping.com <laughs> there is a podcast called Do Not Steal where they uh, they create OCs and I'll say review uh, tabletop RPGs. I don't know if that's that how they would characterize it, but they do criticism. They yeah. say tabletop criticism. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. I think review is a fair way of putting it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and they did an episode about Lancer that is very good. Um, it was one of their first ex- ones, I think. Yes, I think it was the second or third. Mm-hmm. Um, very good episode. Yeah. But yeah, so Kill Six Billion Demons. I really, really liked it for a long time. I have cooled on it a little bit since then, um, but not, I think, necessarily because it's gotten worse or my perspective on it has changed that much. Like, okay, I think some of the things that I thought were incredibly sick about it in 2014, I'm now like, well, I've seen more anime. These are moderately sick. But, like... Really, the thing that has become an issue for me and and that meant that I stopped reading it was the pacing. And, like, it was, it became incredibly frustrating for me for a long time because it was in the same fight scene for a long ass time. And I eventually, I just kind of realized, like, this would be a totally different reading experience if I just waited until this chapter was done. Like, these fight scene pages would, like, 
flow right over my re- right over my brain very smoothly and i wouldn't be thinking the whole time about like when are these people going to fucking express their ideology and like <laughs> work this shit out cuz i actually already know what they think about these things it's been telegraphed very clearly so can we just get to the fucking point <laughs> the answer is no we're not going to get to the fucking point because this guy wants to do a fight scene and it's a tournament art he has every right to want to do a fight scene right <laughs> um but because uh because i felt like I had seen where it was going, like, plot and theme-wise several pages ago, several months ago. Right. Um, I I was just, like, not enjoying it at all. Um, Yeah. And so, like, honestly, I think at this point I am just waiting for the actual whole comic to be done, which is not impossibly far in the future. This Um, is... If I was going to get into a webcomic, it would probably be Akewood, and part of that is because I have read some Akewood and I like it. And part of that is because, like, I know that it's done. And I know there's a finite... There's a finite amount of Akewood in the world, and I can read it, and I I think I'll really like it, because I really like what I have read of Akewood, you know? So... I, uh... I wrote a, a paper in college about um, like heroic male friendship and the great outdoor fight. As soon as you said heroic male friendship, I knew it was going to be about the great outdoor fight. I just knew it. It's, it's fucking good, man. It's fucking good. The first webcomic I remember reading was 8-Bit Theater. Oh, God. That's the Atomic Robo guy, pretty famous one. That's the Atomic Robo guy. That's what got him the popularity to also be able to do Atomic Robo. To make a comic with real real art? Yes. (laughs) With art that doesn't suck shit? He started that comic as a class project. Oh, did he? That first, those first couple of pages were like a project for school. Um, And then after that, like, I've like dabbled in them. I'll like read one for a while and either not get caught up or get caught up and forget about it. And that's happened several times. I've never like kept current with anything. Like the most I've been is with Order of the Stick back in the day and now where I'm like every month or so I just hop back in to see if there's a new page. But uh, sometimes something will just... Oh God, I read all of Control Delete at some point. You did do that. <laughs> I'm a I'm easy to hook into narratives, so I was like invested in the narrative arc of Control Alt Delete at some point. Uh and just like just reading it and reading it and reading it over the course of a week. Um this was before the big reboot where he kills all his characters. No, he doesn't. Yeah. And then they come back. They're back now. Okay. There was like a time thing where Ethan has to sacrifice himself to save the, everyone from the dark future where the Xbox robot takes over the oh, world and kills his wife. Oh god, I think I've heard of this. <laughs> you were like, oh yeah, he has to sacrifice himself to stop the dark future. And I was like, oh shit, I think I... I've never... I've read like a Control-All-Delete comic when people have like posted it to make fun of it or whatever. I've well, never actually... There, there was a it. very specific fan base around mocking control alt delete that at some point was like y'all are just fans yeah (laughs) you say that you're doing this to make fun of it but you post about it every week when it comes out (laughs) it's like you just like the comic on some level (laughs) like they're into now 
Now, some people might say that that's what this podcast is. But this podcast is going to become positive. Yeah. At it, some point. On the other hand, it's not like Tim Buckley after Control Alt Delete. I, like, everyone was like, oh, but his next comic is yeah. like, <laughs> actually good. It's I, not like he stopped doing Control Alt Delete at some point and then wrote Watchmen, you know? <laughs> Would that be an uh, improvement? I, I just yeah. had to pull out a universally beloved sure. comic from my ass. Uh, the other thing is that uh, there is a really funny trend that's still happening in some spaces of taking the first and last panel of a Control-Alt-Delete comic to make it a funnier joke. You were showing me some of those last week. Those are all funnier than the actual... so funnier <laughs> because there's it's four panels, uh-huh. but second and third panels are all just like more build-up or delaying the punchline. Yeah. And it's just bad because Tim Buckley is bad at writing jokes. Yes. And so the, the other thing, speaking of webcomic edits, was con- uh, Order of the Stick is a very wordy comic. Mm-hmm. It's stick figures uh, that look very cute. I love the art in Order of the Stick. Uh, but there's all these big word bubbles. And there's also a an edit trend of cutting out all but like 12 words on a page. And seeing how few words on the page can you cut it down to to keep the uh, the story of what this panel is. Because mm-hmm. there's the character Thog, who's like the half-orc barbarian who talks very broken English. Mm-hmm. And so, like caveman English. Yeah. And so people would like reduce the this huge, like, you know, 400-word comic into three sentences uh-huh. to sound like that. And it's just fun. Yeah. <clears throat> Order of the Stick, I just think, is really good. Um, it's webcomics. Welcome yeah. to our webcomic podcast. We really don't want to talk about a launch today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say one last thing about Control-Alt-Delete, and then we could talk about a launchist or anything that Mark wants to talk about. Uh, it, it, so... You talk about Legend of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, never was into webcomics. I do have a deep love of newspaper comics in my heart, um, to where, like, I read probably, like, I haven't read all of Calvin Hobbes, but I probably read, like, the first 15 years, all in, like, one go at one point, because I had, like, just a lot of it in paperbacks and stuff at some point in my life. Um, and the thing about Control-Alt-Delete being funnier if you cut out panel two and three is frustrating, because, like, Calvin and Hobbes is such a good comic that sometimes, like, the punchline will be in panel three, and then in panel four, it's just, like, more joke. And so, like, to have, to have like, <laughs> essentially newspaper comics where panels two and three don't matter is fucking maddening to me. And also, all of the assets are, are on, like, this board that he drags onto the screen because they all yes. have the same facial features. Yes. It's like, you could... You've clearly, like, streamlined your process to the point that you could spend more time writing. Yeah, like, I th- I think, like, <clears throat> uh, I just think that, uh, what's his name, Bill Waters, the artist of... Bill Watterson? Yeah, yes, um, is just, like, a good cartoonist, and I think, like, Olivia James, the person who does Nancy these days, I think she's just, like, a very good cartoonist, and so just, like, the existence of, like, what are essentially newspaper <laughs> comics that suck ass just drives me nuts. Um, yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you that like Calvin and Hobbes is a a masterwork. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I I do feel like in some ways comparing a webcomic to Calvin and Hobbes <laughs> is a little unfair. That's fair because because it's a masterwork. However, however, like 
even if or like oh he's not gonna have like the the really excellent writing of a calvin and Hobbes. there's some pretty like bad newspaper strips that i still don't think you could do that remove the middle two panels thing yeah with you know like you probably couldn't do that to family circus which is not good no but (laughs) you can't do that to heathcliff I, I unironically love Heathcliff. Um, like, it's not a bit when I talk about how much I like Heathcliff. Why would it be a bit? Um, just that some people don't like Heathcliff. Um, but I think like, a lot of people on the internet are kind of ironic about newspaper comics. Um, which is fair because they are a bizarre <laughs> form. But I just pulled up a random Heathcliff comic and laughed at it. Yeah. Uh, the, the weekday Heathcliff strips are all one panel, but, like, the Sunday strips are all, like, like, you know, bigger things, like this one you pulled up here, and, um, you couldn't, you couldn't, like, cut out the middle parts of this. Like, the stuff's happening. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very specific thing. Yeah. Um, and also, nobody would even, like, for a number of reasons, like, you wouldn't even... This wouldn't arise out of non-web comics because yeah. web comics and like the sort of like <coughs> the sort of culture surrounding taking something and changing it for a point or for yeah. a joke is like different. Yeah, in, in that con. But anyway, anyway, uh, Elantris happened this week. Elantris <laughs> happened this week. We don't want to talk about it. It's dumb. <clears throat> I've just been uh, just shotgunning a lot of legend of zelda content this week so that's that's where all that book time went um but uh pull up the summaries they gave us a bad hraithan chapter this week this is a bullshit this is book. the second bad hraithan chapter so far or in a row at least pull up. maybe hraithan chapters are just bad now maybe now we're getting to the end of the book 55 oh no 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 yeah it's 55 mm-hmm. okay <coughs> Watching the aftermath from the top of Kiyan's house, Raiden confirms to Serene that since he's still alive, that according to the terms of their contract, their marriage is void. After she's ex- after she's exclaimed over her own shortcomings for not putting together his disappearance in the first place. Oddly structured sentence, Coppermind. Yeah, I'll, you got one word wrong, but still. <clears throat> Coppermind is like, sentence one. <laughs> Semicolon. <laughs> Um, place. Raiden assures her that he has no intention of avoiding their marriage, and she and suggests they make it formal. He suggests that. Sorry. Left to his own thoughts for a moment, uh, his concerns show in sending Galadon back to New Elantris earlier to teach the people Aeondor. What is up with these sentences? <laughs> he admits there won't be much time, but it's better than nothing. Drawing Aeon uh, Nay. They study their palace. They study the palace grounds together through the magnifying sc- magnifying <laughs> scope that that particular Aeon creates. Raiden is horrified to see the corpse of Eondel lying next to Tellery. Okay, this is a really weird summary. <laughs> Are you okay? Do you need like a glass of water? No, I'm just baffled. <laughs> um, and look at how the next chapter has a summary that's like five times as long. To be fair, more what the happens. Hell? I mean, yeah, but I think this is one of those situations. Um, I mean, like, clearly, whoever writes these summaries is dedicated enough to actually make it to the end and write everything. So mm-hmm. it's not a situation like you get with some kind of, like, 
wikis of like a show where the summaries of the episodes are only there for like the first three. Right. But I think it may be a similar phenomenon where they kind of lost it <laughs> as they went along and stopped, uh, stopped trying as hard or stopped focusing. Uh, we really appreciate, like, this podcast is made possible by these summaries existing, so we really appreciate the work of whoever did this. But also, please just write sentences normal. <laughs> I sound foolish. <laughs> Maybe it'll be better with some of the books that are better and that are less, like, torturous to get to the end. Of. I don't I think very many so. people are thinking about Elantris. Um, Question. Yes. Why the fuck is Serini just chill with being lied to for no reason for weeks? Why does it just not matter? She's like, oh, it's so romantic. It sucks. And she's also like, wow, how did I not figure it out? And I'm like, yeah. Yes, how did you not figure it out? <laughs> and then Raiden is like, well, naturally, no era, no one from Aralon would have thought this. And you're kind of from Aralon now, which is stupid. I gave you it's a ridiculous. hint five minutes before I revealed myself. Like, what the why, why was this a secret? It's like, stupid I feel like... I feel like part of what's so weird and frustrating about this thing is that, like, it feels as though it is Brandon arguing with us, the reader, as we go. <laughs> Where it's like, we are being like, how did Serini not figure it out? And Raiden is being like, well, you know, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. It really does, though. It really feels like just trying to, like, paper over, like, a... A plot hole, I guess, would be... A criticism. Yeah, a criticism. It's trying to, like, counter it. Yeah. But... I just... There are... There are six more chapters of this book, and we are wasting one of them um, by responding to criticism of the book itself. There are nine chapters in part three. Yes, there are nine chapters, yep. and one of them is essentially just... Nothing has happened here. Raiden makes an Aeon to make a scope so they can see far away. Because otherwise this this whole chapter is pointless. Yes. Nothing happens. Uh, I mean, this is, the, makes... this is the big emotional payoff for the, the arc of the romance between Raiden and now... Serene. There's something very important that both the summary and both of you missed. He makes another Aeon. Which yeah, that's her right. Hair. He grows her hair back. Now oh, she's a God. beautiful woman but again. He doesn't tell her he's going to do it. So the, that part starts with... What? Finish what you were saying. With him just tearing her wig off her head without saying a word. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. It, it, also... <laughs> Weird. Earlier in the chapter, it specifies that her wig makes yes. her look like a schoolgirl. But that's the sentence after he says... I missed that. That uh, her dress not... is too short because she's too tall, but he was kind of fond of how much leg it showed off. Also, she looked like a schoolgirl. Is this... It's... Is this the first time we're putting something in the Brandon's kind of a pervert column? Um, uh, I feel like there's been some mildly pervert shit earlier in this book in some way. I... Can't th oh, yeah, no, all the, like, marital rape stuff. That was pervert. Yeah, that was pervert shit. Um, but this is definitely, like, I think this is maybe the first time where it's not so much something that thinks it's, like, a dirty joke for us to laugh off. 
where it's actually something very disturbing. And this is something where it's like, oh, this is kind of sexy. Don't you think this is sexy? Um, like, I don't think uh, we've seen Raiden and Sereni have like a... Raiden admiring Sereni has mostly been about um, like respecting her spunk. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> I genuinely think maybe the audiobook narrator did not read this because I'm reading this uh, this uh, paragraph about like oh the amount of leg it showed and then it made her look like a six foot tall schoolgirl. Um, you I huh? There's what? not a chance that was added in this version, is there? The the, the it's in my version, okay. so no. The the uh, audiobook they did update the audiobook for the tenth anniversary. Okay, so. But, but, I, I would have lost, has... lost my shit if Brandon had added <laughs> Serini was hot. I mean, Nora, you have the 10th anniversary edition as a book, right? Yes, that's what we're holding right yeah. now on the podcast. So, I mean, I I think it would actually be very easy to miss this if you spaced out for like 30 seconds because it's so brief. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think he added it or removed it. Uh, but if he had, fuck... Also, just the, there's just every, I don't want to get into doing this line by line because it's a stupid chapter, but like, you should never do a podcast where you read a book line by line and yell at it. I just don't think that's going to be good. But just like the, the, the sort of back and forth between Raid and Serini that is supposed to be romantic is just profoundly unconvincing to me. Like, um, it feels I've been weird. engaged twice during the last month and I never got a wedding. A, a girl deserves a good wedding. A queen's wedding, right? And agreed. Like, it's just none of this is, like, romantic or convincing or, like, just... I mean, I, I understand why these two people like each other because they're insufferable asses, but, um... Yeah. Like... But also, it's like, it was... That line is also like, hey, remember, Raiden is going to be king. And I was like, oh, right. People are going to be stuck with this guy. Or like the the waxing poetic, uh, Royal was the role model I needed when my father proved unworthy. Like it, they're just wait. Hold on, a qu- I have a question about yeah. that. Yeah, Royal, the guy who made the jokes about rape. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, that was him. He was just a lovable little uncle guy. At you. Are you okay? You're coming apart at the seams today. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, I was, I'm just trying to find a particular line and I'm reading through this. It might not even be in this chapter, so we can move on if we want to. <laughs> I do have, again, I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but I do have a sentence I want to read. Because, Please. So you, you talk about that queen's wedding thing, which is like, <clears throat> I mean, annoying in all kinds of ways. Like, I think it's weird that Serini would be so hot on the idea of weddings when she just had a fucking disastrous one, like, a week ago. Um, like, if I were her, I'd kind of be like, uh... Could we maybe have, like, a quiet ceremony without, like, a ton of people there? <laughs> we'll do your coronation um, as, like, a big thing, but can we just, like, get the wedding over even with? Even that, is, we'll get into it. Anyway, but, um, but whatever. Serena just loves weddings because girls love weddings. Um, but, uh, Raiden's, like, a queen's wedding. And then, the next paragraph, Serena sighed as she looked back at Kai. The city seemed cold and lifeless, almost unpopulated. The political uncertainty was destroying the economy of Aralon as surely as Eodon's rule had destroyed its spirit. Mm-hmm. What a fucking thing to talk <laughs> Like, they were just being kind of romantic and nuzzling each other, and now she's like, 
damn, the economy is being destroyed. <laughs> like, I guess the lo- the leap of logic here is that he says a queen's wedding, and then she's like, oh, right, we are, like, royalty. We got to be concerned about our realm. I-, I think that's the logic. But, like, man. I have a question. What's the fucking economy? <laughs> We've been asking that question since the beginning of the book, and no one will tell us. It's just a bunch of merchants trying to, like, Outdo each other, like selling something to someone, somewhere, for something. Can you even name the the currency? Can any? Can either of you tell me what the currency of this book is? No, not even a little. Do they even use like coins, or is it all like, for example, like a? You know, lots of um, economies throughout history have not used, like, physical pieces of metal or even, like, you know, pieces of paper. They've used basically uh, elaborate kind of credit systems where it's, like, you would, everybody, like, in this town keeps track of, like, who's traded what stuff with each other and, like, they... not to say, like, that this should be a credit economy rather than a cash economy. I'm just saying we have no idea which one it is. yeah. But it matters. It does matter. It's it's to the point where like I I just looked gold. Uh, I searched gold to find on the the copper mine. I also searched money and didn't find anything because I don't think like outside of Stormlight and Mistborn, money is not. I yeah. don't remember like actual cash money being like that important. And it's very funny that on the page for gold on Coppermind, there's not a single reference to use of gold as currency, only its use in magic. Yeah. So Now, I will say, in some ways, that's a little refreshing, because I think that the whole, like, ah, this is medieval fantasy, people use gold coins thing is a, kind of obnoxious. Like, I don't think that really reflects historical reality very much. It's kind of a lazy assumption that I think probably mostly actually comes from, like, D&D. Yeah, right, um, for sure. Uh, I, so, you know, my f- but, but... My favorite version of that is that specifically in the Dragonlance D&D setting, they use different metals, but what that actually means is just that there's, everything gets moved down a step and steel is the gold coin equivalent. <laughs> they use steel coins because we need steel for weapons, which means that steel is valuable, which means it's our money. Don't Even think though- about that. <laughs> yeah, like, this is... I, I read a really, really interesting book that is about, like, the history of money, in part. Mm-hmm. Uh, called It's called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. I really recommend it. Um, uh, and, and, like, that is where I got that, like, thing that I just kind of said about how, like, lots of economies have not been, like, cash economies throughout history. Because that's kind of, the, like, central thesis of his book, is that actually the origins of money are as debt <laughs> and systems of recording debt. It's not as, like, currency. Right. Um, but one of the things that's also very interesting in that book that comes up is that, like, for something to be a good currency, it does actually kind of have to be useless. Because if it is useful, people will start using it for stuff. Mm, right. Because you, know? you wouldn't want to, <laughs> you wouldn't want to make steal your money because you got to use that. But if you get more money, that means you can always turn it into swords and shields and stuff. That's stupid. Right. So it's not like no historical economy has ever used useful things for something like money. Like, there have been, for example, a lot of places in the world where people have used cattle as, like, the primary kind of Mm. method of trade and calculating wealth. Mm -hmm. But also, like, when people use cattle that way, the way that they use them does not look exactly like the way that 
you know, people use metal coins. Right. You can pay four like, and a half cows right. for this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. Yeah, this is, I guess, irrelevant, but but I, if only there were shit like this in this book, it'd be so much more interesting yeah. if we could get some, like, economic stuff instead of just saying the economy. I, I just, I hit a point in this week where it's like, uh, very little, I won't say nothing, but very little happens in these three chapters, and, like, there are two more sets of three chapters, and I know that in each of those chapters, like, at most one or two things will happen in each set. So there's, like, a very small number of, like... There's very little book left. There's very little space for things to happen. And I just feel, like, fundamentally unsatisfied with this book. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I had more to say about money and Sanderson's books, but we'll get to it at some point. Because yeah. Because I think it's more relevant to other stuff. Yeah. But listeners, just remember this for two years from now. <laughs> when I when I pull Stormlight and Mistborn into one sort of point about money, yeah. Um, should we do chapter fifty six then? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Chapter fifty six. Now on the roof with Rayadin and Serini, Ash explains in the company of Keen, Lucal, and Shudin of Andel's of Andel's foolish charge into the palace to avenge the death of Royal. I may just kind of, like, editorialize these sentences on the fly to make them a little more comprehensible. Please. Um, uh, Rayadin is the first to call it foolish, and Serini agrees, uh, though she sees what he's saying as a leader's perspective, not the perspective of a man who would surely be mourning the loss of both Royal and Aendel. Um... Watching the funeral pyre, they notice 50 or so Elantris city guards, which, by the way, those are the people doing the funeral pyre, detach from the group and gallop toward Keen's house. As the riders approach, Keen suggests barricading the entrance. Rayadin orders him not to do so, which he only acquiesces to because he respects Rayadin, saying that he doesn't take orders from kings. Um, uh, this proves unnecessary, however, or, or sorry, no, uh, Barring the door, which they didn't do, proves unnecessary. <laughs> As the soldiers <laughs> announce, the soldiers announce that they have heard a rumor that the former prince has returned to the city and they are in desperate need of a king. Uh, Raiden, a relieved Raiden, orders out messengers to every noble in the city, uh, saying that within the hour his coronation will commence. Uh, he's speeding it up in part due to concern over Raiden's plot. Um. Raiden addresses a large crowd of nobles uh, shortly afterward in the palace throne room, uh, but he's only able to begin his speech before he's interrupted by the feeling of someone else manipulating the door. Uh, he spots someone whom he suspects is a Durethi priest as the source of the door power, um, <laughs> but doesn't have time to pay attention to that. Uh, as as uh, the crowd's stunned reactions make him realize what's happened, uh, he has been revealed as an Elantrian. His illusion has been dispelled. Um, the crowd, seeing his Elantrian appearance, is more dumbfounded than shocked. Um, after so long expecting the worst, the nobility can't bring itself to feel appalled. That sentence I, I read, 
even though I don't really think it's like true, but that's because I think it's like an interesting take on what happens in this chapter, I guess. Um, uh, before Raiden can react, Serini comes to his defense, reminding the people that Raiden is still the man who cared about them before his exile, despite what he's become. Uh, a few cheers excite the rest of the audience into strong support for Raiden's kingship. Diloph, who is obviously the Dorethi priest mentioned earlier, stalks angrily out of the throne room, uh, having, having received a totally different reaction than what he was hoping for. Um, Serena explains to Raiden that the people of Erlon are ready to accept someone who will lead them well, uh, regardless of if he's an Elantrian or not. Um, but... He points out uh, if she hadn't uh, come to the rescue with an Aaron Sorkin speech, uh, <laughs> things, might have things might not have gone so well. Um, Raiden uh, questions who... Oh, man. <laughs> Questioning... This time I'm just going to read it around aloud literally because I don't remember the exact sequence of events here, so... Questioning who Diloph is, Raiden first lays suspicion on the Dorethi priest about being the one who manipulated his Aeon. What a sentence. <laughs> also, I, I don't think... So, this makes it sound like he knows who Diloph is, but he doesn't. He's just like, oh, that Dorethi priest, I think he was manipulating the door. I need to find out who he is. So it's not like it's not like Raiden is like, who's that guy? He's Diloph, right? Or like, right. nobody tells him that was Diloph. He doesn't have that information yeah. here. And Serini, anyway. importantly, thinks he is insignificant, I think. Yeah. Um, He's not Raiden. He, yeah. Raiden borrows Ash uh, and sends the Sion into New Elantris to warn Galadon. Okay. Um, a lot happening here. My biggest... I, I have a question. Yeah. You live in Keen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Keen's castle, you mean? You mean Kai. Kai. Yeah. Not Keen. Kai. You live in Kai. Mm-hmm. Ten years mm-hmm. ago, there were gods living nearby, next door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three doors down. Yeah. Um, they all died in a revolution that you may or may not have taken part in. Yes. Yep, yep. Three weeks ago, after that, there was a king. Normal yes. king. Yeah. Three weeks ago, the king was revealed to... Um, have been part of an evil death cult that was sacrificing people. Yes. Yesterday, the new king was beheaded by another noble. And also, he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Aren't you kind of feeling done with kings? <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the way that we are meant to read what's going on here is that, yes... The nobility of Erlon are really confused about all of the political upheaval that's taken place recently, and they don't know what's going on, and that is why they need a strong and noble king yes. whom they can trust on his merits, why? whom they won't be... Like, that is... this. I think this is proposing that a strong and noble king like Raiden is, like, the natural form of leadership that people will turn to and recognize that they need in a time of turmoil. And, like, Serini just, like, got them to realize, in some sense, something that they kind of already knew deep down. Which was their place in the world. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, well, first of all, this is a crowd of nobles. Because it's yes. a coronation. Which means most of the population isn't even mm-hmm. aware of what's happening. 
I mean, to be fair, is the population even fucking aware that Tellery has been killed? Like, it's, if they didn't see that funeral pyre, maybe not. It's... I just don't know why there's not just a guy in the crowd who's like, what if fuck this? Like, anybody. Well, and Serini's explanation is that, well, they all knew that, like, Rayadin deserves to be king. You no know? one deserves to be king. He... He, like, the kingship is suddenly a meritocracy in this time of need, and everybody has decided that Raiden is, like, the guy for the job. No, I mean, the thing is that they always wanted Raiden, but he wasn't an option until now. Um, there's also, there's also an element here where, um, it almost feels like Serini is actually suggesting that Elantrians also have always been the right people to rule. And, like, Aralon has just foolishly rejected their rightful Elantrian overlords for the past ten years because they, you know, look <laughs> oh, a little bit Oh, the king is reclaiming his ancestral throne. King- well, I'm <laughs> saying it's almost the opposite of that, though, because, like, it's like Rayadin's, uh, you know, inherited title derives from Eodon, whom she's explicitly saying was a, a tyrant mm-hmm. who made shit up. However, the Elantrians, whom you rejected ten years ago for that tyrant, like, maybe they were supposed to be in charge all along, huh? It feels like that's what she's implying. Can I read um, uh, Serini's speech? Because it's short, and there's some some shit in here that I just think the listeners should hear uh, if they're not reading the book. Yeah, just read it. Um, Read it, read it. Look at him, nobles of Aralon. Uh, Look at the man who would have been your king. Look at his dark skin and his Elantrian face. Then tell me, does it really matter? I'm putting a pin in this sentence here. Um, Ten years, you were ruled by a tyrant because you rejected Elantris. You were the privileged, the wealthy, but in a way, you were the most oppressed, for you could never be secure. Uh, Were your titles worth your freedom? This is the man who loved you when all others sought to steal your pride. I ask you this, can being an Elantrian make him any worse a king than Eodon or Tellery? I, for one, accept his rule. Um, so, okay, a couple things. Um, one, the 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 dark skin and king co- comment is just odd. The 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 comment about look at his dark skin does that disqualify him from being king? It's just odd. Yeah. And then also, you, the wealthy people, were the most oppressed. No, I think probably the most oppressed people were the ones who were performing a bunch of labor in order for the wealthy people to be wealthy. And being traded between those wealthy people. Yes. I think the most oppressed people were actually the (laughs) class of people who were, like, slaves, if not in name. I think those were probably the Uh, most oppressed people. (laughs) I want to give Serini a tiny amount of credit here, which is that... If she is trying to, like, make her audience feel like the horror you've suffered for the past ten years is over, like, that's a understandable thing to say to play to her audience. Yeah, Um, I just don't think that... I think that is an element of what she's doing, but I think maybe it is also, like, Serini is just a character who is always right in this book. But it says... She says here... But in a way, you were most opp- the most oppressed, for you could never be secure. Were your titles worth your free? What is that? What is? What do you mean secure? What? What drawback? I mean, so I, 
So I think what she's saying is that the previous system, which was totally like unchangeable, right? Where the Elantrians were in charge and everyone else served them and, and like, okay, serve them is maybe a weird way of putting it because Elantrians didn't need like human servants, but like everyone else worshipped them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a very secure system. Yes. You know, whereas uh, until this huge disaster. But like, I, I really think Serini is strongly suggesting the return to the former system of Elantrian worship. Yes. Um, like, uh, when she says, 10 years you were ruled by a tyrant because you rejected Elantris. Like, that to me really sounds like she's saying, listen, you kind of brought this on yourselves by rejecting Elantris, which you never should have done in the first place. But now you have the chance to fix that wrong. She's from Teod. She She follows a different religion, and yet... She's like, one of the few character traits she has is that she's a Korathi? Devotee? Also, the Femboy Pope is here. Femboy Pope is here, and he uh, is purely perfunctory. He's like set dressing. Yeah, this is like Raiden and Serene are just like, oh, we don't like this guy. We don't need this guy, but he's the leader of our religion, so we, like we'll have him here. Um, it's also, if I recall correctly, they're like, we're gonna have him do the coronation, and there's absolutely no discussion of like how they convinced him to do yeah, that. Yeah, like he's which just seems on like board that would have actually, like you'd think. I mean, you'd think it would have taken a little bit of talking, and and you'd also think that he would have said something in response to Serini's little speech here, right? And been like, uh, excuse me, my religion believes that these people are damned, actually. Right. <laughs> Maybe Raiden and the Femboy Pope just have some history. Ooh. I don't think that's... Scandal. I don't think that makes... I don't think that makes any no. sense. <laughs> uh, but, but if we... If that's the line we draw, this whole book is out of order. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I also... Something that really, really frustrates me about this is like, okay, last chapter to explain, to to really like hand wave away in a very annoying fashion, the fact that Serini didn't ever suspect that Rayadin might have uh, become an Elantrian, even though she suspected things like him having been assassinated or him being in hiding. She never, ever, ever suspected that he might have actually become an Elantrian or that he might have been like spirited away to Elantris against his will. or whatever. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> and uh, the explanation for why that just never occurred to her was basically that thinking about Elantris is taboo in Aralon, and she's been in Aralon long enough to adopt their taboos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Raiden says, uh, I'm not surprised that no one connected my disappearance with Elantris. That isn't the sort of thing an Araline would assume. People don't talk about Elantris, and they certainly don't want to associate it with those they love. They would prefer to believe that I'd died than know that I'd been taken by the Sheod. And, like, that's a... First of all, that's just not how taboos work. Like, cultural taboos are the kind of thing that people are actually constantly thinking about. You know? Like, in cultures where there's a strong sense of, like, people going to hell, those tend to also be cultures where people are, like, thinking a lot of the time, like, am I going to hell? Is my neighbor going to hell? Like, I wonder if someone I know did something that is, like, evil and taboo and forbidden that might cause them to go to hell. Like, that. 
So the idea that no one even suspected this because everyone is so afraid of Elantris doesn't make sense. Yes. And then also the idea that Serini picked up that bias over the course of like three months living here. That's absurd. We- but then... Sorry, yeah, I, go ahead. I, I, I'm almost done with my point, which is that in this chapter, all the nobles of Aralon, who are so afraid of Elantris that they can't even think about it, which is absurd in the first place, but okay, accepting that, now their ruler is revealed to be an Elantrian, and they're all able to just go along with it after like four sentences of a speech? What? It's so dumb. Well, look, there's just, you know, they've been doom scrolling too much, and now they're complacent. Um, but to your point about taboos um, and uh, Serenity's relationship to those taboos. Uh, oh, people just don't think about Elantris in, in Ireland. Well, women don't fence either, do they, Rayadin? Like, half of Serini's plot in this book has been to show up and stir things up by being an outsider who doesn't have these, like, prejudices and, like, whatever the word that you said earlier is. Um, Biases? Yeah, biases. Like, that was her whole thing, is that she's, like, the weird outsider princess who doesn't conform to the same type of, like, social cues that everyone here does and like but also but also even though she's like teaching women how to fight with swords in secret she she also would has now adopted this particular viewpoint through osmosis and in in such a way that it is like a perfect replication of the eroline like perspective of elantris you know what else occurs to me? You know who actually has been thinking about Elantris a lot? Is Serini. Yeah. She's been very concerned with Elantris. <sighs> but just the idea that nobody would ever lie about Elantris has never occurred to anybody. Maybe yeah. maybe this is just a, one of those fantasy settings where any lie is is going to going to work because nobody would ever think about lying. God, it's like a lark. <laughs> this is if you've ever been in like a like a theater style LARP, straight up lying is often like a really powerful strategy because if you just kind of tell people about like a you know a, if you're like I have a magic item that does X Y Z, uh, people will generally assume that you literally have like you know an item on your character sheet that does mm-hmm. that. Um, and trust you and like trade with you about that. And so just like straight up making shit up in a bald faced way can be very, very effective in that type of game. <laughs> Not always. If you're playing with other people who also mm-hmm. think that way, mm-hmm. obviously it doesn't work very well. But um, that was my experience uh, in college. Which also, to be clear, I don't think that's like a necessarily a good way to play. I just think if your goal is to win those type of games. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> I'm just so stuck on this idea of like every single how many kings do you go through before somebody says hey can we try something different this isn't me communism brain posting here I'm I'm just asking like these people 
are just incapable of viewing the world through any other lens, even though monarchy's only been around for ten years. It, I just don't understand the 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 whole point of this chapter. <laughs> Do you want me to read chapter fifty seven's summary? Hrethan observes the entire series of events in the throne room, contemplating his feelings towards Sereni, we'll get back to that, and why he hates this imposter that looks like Raiden. Seeing Diloph leave, Hrethan follows, noting that his plans have been ruined again by Sereni's plot, and admits that Diloph was right. If Hrethan had concentrated more on Elantris, the people would have been too disgusted to grant Raiden imposter king- grant the Raiden imposter kingship. Grant the Raiden imposter kingship. He's suspicious when Diloph turns not toward the chapel, but toward the center of the city. Leading him to the market district, Raithan has time to pause before witnessing with horror the monks of Decor bursting out of the merchants' tents in their twisted warrior forms. I mean, the chapter sucks, but yes! They're fucking (laughs) zerglings. Uh, right, zerglings, I, I, I do know what, I mean, I've heard of the name Zerglings, but I don't know in what way these, Zerglings are like, isn't there like a strategy you use with them where you just have like a billion guys and you, these guys aren't Zerglings, they're like incredibly yes. highly trained. Yeah. Well, my point is that they are like flesh warping alien oh, parasite I see. things, I, like the Flood, man. for example. Because these guys are uh, weird, flesh-mutant monks. I guess you're right. I I really thought that this was just saying that they were, like, physically ripped and also scarred. Let me read what it says. Hraithan stumbled back in horror. He knew those twisted Mm -hmm. figures. Arms like knotted tree branches. Skin pulled tight over strange ridges and unspoken symbols. So I was reading that as literally arms like knotted tree branches. They're very, very muscular. Is it different Wait. in your edition? Uh, what is the, the second sentence after arms like knotted tree branches? Skin pulled tight over strange ridges and unspoken symbols. Ah, see, this says skin pulled tight over strange ridges and unspeakable symbols. Okay. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty similar, I feel like. Although yours is maybe slight, that It's slightly cooler to say unspeakable. <laughs> but, um... The way that I was reading that was like, oh, they've undergone some, like, sick body mods, you know? Like, they yeah. have, like, scarification, they have tattoos, they maybe even have, like, uh, you know, there's body mods where you get kind of, like, a thing inserted under your skin, and the skin yeah. feels over it. Um, so I wasn't picturing them as, like, full-on, like, flesh mutants. But maybe that is what I'm supposed to picture, I don't know. I assumed that it was flesh mutants because um, they're called figures and warriors and monks but never like men or people but they're like described in like a dehumanized way that made me think that they were monsters yeah no they definitely are dehumanized um in a weird way Uh. um so why is hraithan um feeling cucked Yeah! yeah i I was like, I hope they didn't talk about that while I was in the restroom. <laughs> I was like, I... He's horny uh, for Sereni. He was never horny for Sereni. Even when they it, were, like, having, like, 
Even when they were, like, sniping at each other from across a party, it never was, like, flirting. What the hell? I'm... Mm, this book is it, is it the leg that she's showing? It's like he hasn't <laughs> seen her in a short skirt before? He's like, now that she looks like a schoolgirl... <laughs> No, they fixed her hair in that chapter, so... He's oh, right. also, like, Hraithan is confused by this, too, right? Like, uh... Yeah. He, he's, uh, he's, like, uh, thinking about it. He, he's, like, upset that Sereni is, like, attracted to this man when Sereni is normally so smart. Um, and then mm-hmm. it's, like, uh... And she should be attracted to the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, Hraithan. yeah. Uh, and then he says... Logically, Hraithan knew his jealousy was foolish. Hraithan's own relationship with the girl had been one of antagonism, not of affection. And it's like, I, I, I think that this is meant to say something about like, ah, he's been having these kind of uh, crush feelings that he didn't acknowledge and he's been venting them through antagonism. But actually, he likes her. He's pulling her braids because he has a crush on her. But it's like, no, this <laughs> is literally just... They've never had those vibes. Like, Raiden and Serene have had those vibes where, like, she was, you know, giving him stuff he couldn't use, and he was figuring out ways to use it anyway, and that felt cute and flirty, mm-hmm. even though it like, was stupid. But Serene and Hraithan never even, like, had a chill conversation, like, outside of their dynamic as antagonists toward each other. They never even had the, like, oh, we happened upon each other while, like, on... Uh, on a walk at night or whatever and like had like a neutral conversation this is there's more so, sexual tension between Dilof and Hraithan than there is between Serini and Hraithan. there's more sexual tension between Dilof and Hraithan than any two characters <laughs> <at> this, <point. laughs> this is um like I don't normally mean this as a criticism I think it is just a like quality of this book and uh, of Brandon's writing and you can take it or leave it. Um, but Brandon's writing is very like sexless, mm-hmm. you know, like, like sex is just not a thing that exists or like it happens, but like, it's not really like on the page. Like people yeah, are not um, like horny I, and flirtatious. I and, do and, look forward to when we read Warbreaker. That, yeah. that book's very yeah. horny actually. Um, yes. There. I, yes. I know. Here's the thing that sex does exist in Brandon's books, specifically as wedding night sex. Yes. That is that is a recurring thing. Yes. Um, it, is, it is It is unsurprising because of his faith. It is sort of this like. Um, it, sex is not like a thing that is just like thrown around like casually. It is like mm. a thing that like he deploys. Very seldom, very seldom, and like when he does in like very specific ways, it's not like it's not like there's ever there was never going to be a draft of this book where um Serini was falling for uh Rayadin but having these stray thoughts about like oh, but isn't Hraithan so hot? No, because Hraithan's twice her age, right? But I think. <laughs> I think you could have written a version of this book where this part right here works because you sure. could have done the love triangle version of this book for sure. I, I, I could imagine how you... You don't even have to redo the plot. You just have to rewrite scenes between these characters to yeah. introduce that. That might take away a little bit from Hraithan's, like internal yes. deal with this book. If like 
on top of his crisis of faith, he's having like this romantic uh, entanglement. I don't know how you would balance that out so that both of those arcs would be really well done. Well, you know? I, but, I mean, like, I just don't think I just don't think that Brandon is the writer who can do that necessarily. You yeah, know? I mean, I think that like it actually. I can think of. I, I don't feel like it's that hard to imagine how uh, Hrethin's sort of major emotional path, his his crisis of faith, could have been linked into like an attraction and a flirtation with Serene because like she could represent in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. You know, he he is in this complicated position toward the people of Erlon, where on the one hand he wants to convert them which is kind of an antagonistic stance towards them. But at the same time, he also wants to convert them peacefully before they get conquered by force. And so in some sense, he's like, uh, you don't know what's good for you, but I care for you anyway, and I will help you even if you don't want me to. And I think it's very easy to see how a relationship with Serini could have kind of personified that into a specific human that he has complicated feelings for. And then at the same time as he's like, I am going to like, I, I'm going to, like, I mean, okay, this is going to get a little, like, I'm going to, like, master you, Serene. I know what's right for you because I'm the, like, fjordal man or whatever, which I know sounds kind of gross, but I think that's how Raithen would see it, right? Mm, um, right. And then that could also play into something where Serene is like, no, you're not going to do that. I'm my own woman and I have my own faith and maybe I'm going to, like, chip away at your armor and make you have some doubts. And that could be part of his whole crisis where he's like, oh, man, am I having feelings for Serene? Like, I thought I was just trying to convert her because it would be politically useful, but am I focused on her more than I should be? Is she actually getting to me? You could have done all this stuff. It wouldn't have been hard. It would have, I think, supported his crisis of faith and it would have supported her character and his character but it's not yeah it's not there at all and and i should say like without getting into too many details like in the stormlight books there is a love triangle that has a a dynamic i could recognize between like what i would like the 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 raiden serene um hraithan dynamic is a more like explicit love triangle at some point in the Stormlight books. Um, and that works because, like, that love triangle becomes very central to, like, all three of the characters' conflicts for the book where it is, like, the like taking up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Like, that love triangle is both one of the core conflicts and also ties into the other core conflicts. Like, this character is having this problem and... Also, he is in a love triangle, you know? And also... that Elantris is not that book, because Elantris is just so unfocused to where... Let's say, for example, the king was part of a secret <laughs> death cult that was sacrificing young maidens, and it didn't matter. <laughs> Elantris is, like, not a... you. Th- that feels like one of those things where you're, like, playing the quiet year or mm. something... And you come up with, the, oh, this is like a weird swerve to take, but then you like get focused on other things and you never really come back to that. Yeah. And you never build off that plot point. So you've just like t- ended up telling a story with that one weird little note in the middle. You were telling me about some like, uh, I, I I don't recall what you were saying, like where, where this came from, but like you were telling me this morning, you were reading um, some like ancillary material 
where uh, Brandon was talking about so, Tellery as the bad guy. Yeah, so there's, in this uh, 10th anniversary author's definitive edition, there are deleted scenes of an antagonist that was cut from this book. Mm-hmm. And that is framed with, like, an introduction, and then there, there are, like, excerpts of a book that doesn't exist. Like, it's not just whole chapters, it's just, like, sections about this character, and they are, like, interspersed with paragraphs from Brandon about, here's what this scene is, this is the context for it, this is why I took it out. I haven't read all that stuff yet, but I read the intro, Mm -hmm. where he talks about how the the version that Mark has is the 10th draft of Elantris, which means that this version we have is the 11th. And um, this character was eventually cut so that uh, Tellery could be the main villain. <laughs> Tellery has six lines in this book. Tellery is not a villain. And he's, he's not dead. a character. He's not and dead. He's, he's not going to be there for the climax. He can't be the main villain. Iadon is much closer to the main villain, and they killed him off weeks Diloph. ago. I guess Diloff is the main villain. Yeah. Wern is, is the so main unfocused. villain. Like, Wern is the main is, villain. I but is Wern the villain? <laughs> is it because like? Oh Diloph. God! You know what? We gotta read the next. We gotta talk about the next chapter if we want to talk about Diloff. Oh, yeah. I read the I read the first couple sentences of the next chapter, and then I was like, "Oh right, I gotta stop." Uh huh. Wait, I did. Sorry. <sighs> Hold up. Wait a minute. Am I? Am I? Or sorry, um, I didn't mean we actually need to talk about the next chapter. I was um, yeah, I was spacing out. Sorry. What I mean is, if we're gonna talk about Diloff, we should actually talk about how Diloff has been a giant fake this whole time. <sighs> because he is an Elantrian, he can use Aeondor, and I don't well, know, I don't know how he's been hiding himself for months because or years, I guess. Geez, um, but. I, oh my god, he's an Elantrian. You didn't realize Wait. that? He's using, using Aeondor. No, he's using magic, but like, there could be multiple types of magic. No, Raiden felt it as the door. I, yes, but I, have, I can't talk about that. Okay, I cannot <laughs> actually address that point at, at this point I don't in even time. know. I don't even know what you might be alluding to. Because I know what the door... Never mind. Okay. I okay. don't even know what you're talking about. Maybe, it doesn't matter. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what the exact deal with Diloph is going to turn out to be. It may well be that he does not conceive of himself as an Elantrian for some reason. Um, and so, and I kind of hope that's true because I think it would really, really suck if all of his apparent passionate hatred for Elantrians has been a long con. Like, it had better, I, I think it would be better if he was deceived about his own true nature and and even probably deceived about the type of power he's using. Although, damn, I don't know how that would be possible if he's actually straight up using Aeondor because you need to draw Aeons. And so you'd fucking know it's Aeondor. So... Well, but also, I said that before and both of you reminded me that Raiden can draw very thin lines with his fingernail that no one can see. Well, yeah. that's, that's not what I mean. I'm not saying... What I mean is, if you're Diloff, right... And mm. at some point in your past, you were suddenly empowered with a power. And I guess I'm kind of imagining that maybe there's some possibility that Diloph is like the only Elantrian who hasn't been fully taken by the the Rayode. 
And like it hasn't made him corpse-like for some reason, and it's let him actually use the power properly. Although I guess that doesn't explain why he doesn't or blow. he's just been using the the illusions, and that's right. why he appears younger. Or okay, than he is. if we take that into in as like a possibility, then um. So that's the thing. If he's been, I just, if he's been purposefully using illusions to conceal like his his corpse like Elantrian appearance, which I I think must be it because yeah, I think that ties in with that appearing younger thing. Like he's been he's been repeating the same illusion of his younger self from before he was taken by the Rayod, and so he has not like updated it in I don't know years. Um, but if that's the case, then there's absolutely no way that Diloff doing Aeon Dor drawing aeons is unaware that he is using the magic of the elantrians right like he could not possibly be deceiving himself about that so either diloph was a key factor in the revolution and the fall of elantris mm-hmm. and so he's and he's like hoarding the access to the the door or like in some in some way funneling it away from other elantrians toward himself this was okay or, I just, we know that there, there could also just be another magic system, because... That's so stupid. I, I understand I, why you're bringing that up, but if that's the case, I'm going to be so fucking furious. I just assumed I, that it was weird monk shit and, like, other art shit, you know? What I had thought when this happened was that, oh, Wern found some way to tap into Aeondor without being an Elantrian... Um, Diloph and some of the monks are trained in it. Yes. Um. But I don't think that makes sense because Diloph but yeah. has never been to Fjordal. Like, Diloph has right. not received this, like, fucked up weird training that we don't know anything about. Right. Um, so that's what I was thinking is that I was, I was reading this and I was like, oh, maybe that's what caused everything was that Wern found some way to siphon off Aeondor into his non-Elantrian followers or something. But actually, I think it makes way more sense if Diloph is an Elantrian. I hate Which this. is stupid. I, I hate this idea. I don't I, like it. I also... Okay, here's, here's another thing. I don't think that Wern or, like, uh, any, any Dorethi is able to use actual magic for a couple of reasons. I don't think so either. I, I Like, I understand I think... why you think it might be possible, because we've definitely heard about Dorethi people, Dorethi priests, being able to do kind of interesting, weird stuff, like making this potion. We don't know what these monks do, but obviously they've got some kind of weird thing going on. Um, but I think the fact that... I think the fact that Hraithen has to use a Sion to call Wern makes it very, very clear that if Wern, that that Wern has to do that, because if Wern could possibly do anything else to do that, 100% he would, because they hate yeah. the Seons. Um, like, I do not believe that Wern has any kind of magic. I believe that th- they have probably better technology than other people. I think that's what the potion is. I think we're meant to believe that that potion is literally just a complicated poison, and I, I also think that the, the monks, they're being described in a very dehumanizing way. But like I said before, I think everything that's going on with their bodies is believable as, like, physical training and body mod modifications. I don't think it has to be magic. 
So is the Jaskari Mysteries also fake? Yes, I obviously. I think the Jaskari Mysteries is fake. The Jaskari Mysteries has transparently always been fake ever since it was revealed that Iodon, who's very stupid, believed in it. I think. You don't put a spooky cult in your fantasy book and have it be fake. <laughs> I mean, okay, I don't think that's necessarily a terrible decision writing-wise, although I don't think it's done well here. I think that writing a fantasy novel where there are beliefs about the supernatural that are not objectively correct is a cool and a good thing to do because I think that people's general assumption that, like, in a fantasy setting, everyone's kind of knowledge about magic and, like, the metaphysics of their world is just always true is boring. Because mm-hmm. that's not how, like, any... No society in real history has just, like, as part of their belief system, known everything about how the physics of the world functions, you know? Like, that's right. just not... That's not even true of, like, modern people, you know? Like, right. just because we have, like, a maybe a... a just because we in the modern day have like better knowledge of physics that than previous people did, we don't just. I just want. <laughs> I just want there to be more space for interesting things to happen in Elantris, and Brandon seems to constantly close off all it, possibility space for interesting things. If Diloph is an Elantrian, and like outside of Emperor Soul, if the only magic of in Elantris the book is Andor. Uh, that makes a very boring fantasy setting for me. Yes. Because yes. the only magic that exists is localized entirely within this kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I I do agree that, like, it is kind of... That Andor itself as magic is kind of weird and boring and, like, narrow. Um, also, it... I just wish I, and I understand that no one in the book knows what it does, but I would like to know what it does, because it seems to kind of just be, you may, you can wave your magic wand and make anything happen. That's the thing, like, it's so narrow, but also it's not interesting in that way, because it's like, it's not like it's focused around, like, here's a very specific set of powers people can use, and this is how they're going to twist those effects to solve various problems. It's kind of Harry Potter magic, where it can seemingly do anything, because it's just kind of undefined. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like Aeondor is a very, uh, I mean, honestly, Aeondor feels like somebody who doesn't really respect or like Brandon Sanderson's stuff would make up a Brandon Sanderson magic system. They'd be like, oh, it works like physics, it has a bunch of rules, okay, uh, yeah, people have to learn it from books and they have to draw these specific things. But they wouldn't actually think about... The kinds of things that Brandon does think about very carefully in later books, which is, like, not just, okay, uh, like, Aeondor has a ton of complicated rules, but we don't know about any of them, and they're irrelevant to what Aeondor can actually do in the plot, because the rules are just, like, well, you've got to draw the symbol this way, and it changes the magic. Um, so, the section in the book called Ars Arcanum that the podcast is named after is the section in, I think, every Cosmere book that is just, like, hey, here's the system of magic as explained in this book. They get different, like, if that changes over time, like in the Mistborn, they discover new things, that gets Mm -hmm. added to the Ars Arcanum as it goes along. So it's not like you're reading ahead. But, like, this is, like, the glossary for the magic. You can always flip ahead and read all the rules and, like, have that information. For Aeon Door, it is six pages long, 
four of those pages are just symbols. <laughs> yeah, because that's what Andor is. Andor is just a bunch of visual symbols. It's not like what I think Brandon's magic systems are when they're good, which is a set of kind of ideas about how certain powers will be possible in this story that will allow you to think about the plot and the kind of possibilities for what might happen in a kind of structured way. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I a, think... A big... Sorry, sorry, go on. I was just going to say that a big thing in fandom discussion around Cosmere stories is, could X, Y? Yes. yes. We, like, there's a lot of the structure of the magic systems that Brandon writes that produces lots of hypotheticals and lots of how does this interact with this in the world? How does this interact with this in another world, another book? Yeah. And that's kind of like... Uh, uh, what's the word? Speculative. For that, um, I don't. I don't know. Encourages, but smaller. It sort of like spurs. spurs. It spurs conjecture about like how, what problems could you cause or oh. fix with this the, this list of things you can do. Whereas Aeon Door is like, well. It could literally do anything if you draw the right symbols, as far as I know, as long as it is localized entirely within this kitchen. <laughs> well, and and like this is a this is a way that Brandon uses to drive, like not just speculation outside of the books, but speculation within the book. Where like in a lot of his books that will in Mistborn, which we'll be talking about very soon, oh, yeah. you'll see something happen in like chapter two. And you'll be like, well, how the fuck does that work? And, like, like some of them, you'll see something happen in chapter two. And then in chapter three, someone will explain to you, like, the magic as they understand it. And you're like, well, what, ha- what just happened in chapter two doesn't make any sense. And that will drive a mystery that becomes part of the plot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, like... I, I don't mean to give too much about Mistborn away, but there is mysteries think, about magic. The, you know? That's not even literally what happens in Mistborn. Yeah, You're just, I'm just giving an example. Like, yeah. He uses... He'll set up the rules, and then he'll make something happen that seems to break the rules or bend the rules, and you're like, oh, how did this happen? And there will be revelations and plot. Yeah. Uh, this book does not have that because Aeon Door doesn't matter. <laughs> it no, like, the closest thing to this has been the stuff that we've already complained about a lot, where, like, Raiden's been trying to figure out Aeondor, and he'll just have these sudden, uh, you know, uh, flashes of inspiration where he's like, ah, the do- Aeondor is the door, you know? Um, and, like, I think that those leaps of logic by which Raiden has kind of figured out from first principles what Aeondor is and what's wrong with it and like why it's connected to the land and all that stuff. I think those are the closest thing this book has to actual like kind of Mm. principles that would allow you to predict things about this magic, but they tell you absolutely nothing about what the magic could do. Um, It's it's very funny that Raiden is just, uh, has a whole book dedicated, is just the Raiden chapters of this book is a whole book dedicated to a character that, at his core, would be a one-off interstitial character in, like, The Way of Kings. Yes. <laughs> like, you cut... 
in the like interludes section, one of those little one-off character POVs is like, oh, we're gonna jump over to this guy who's studying magic in a city. Yeah. And we're gonna get like some teasers about structural stuff in magic. And then we're gonna go back yeah. and focus on the main characters. But Raiden is just an interludes guy. Yeah, you'll you'll cut back to Raiden and he'll be like, Oh, the Aeon door is the door, and you the reader will be like what's the door? I'm so interested and oh, I don't get to see him for like the next 40 <laughs> chapters, but I want to know what the door is. <laughs> um, but yeah. But instead it's just like every week Raiden was just sitting in his study like a mathematician being like okay, well if I apply this theorem, then that would imply this and so from first principles I get this and like right, I That's I 15 care. minutes of work now 5 minutes to look at this picture of Serini. <laughs> God. <laughs> We have two more weeks of this. Mark, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Char Asnablunt, uh, and you can find my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, which is a Moby Dick podcast, uh, at abnormalmapping.com slash whale. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find all my other podcasts at exportodd.io. You should listen to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I like it. You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora, find stuff I've done at norablake.online, and you should listen to Attention Duelists, a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. Also, Back to the Ark, my Marble Hornets podcast, every <laughs> Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs>